0: Welcome to the Get Healthier Podcast with Rena Jadhav, who's on a quest to uncover breakthroughs and cures in living longer, healthier, and happier. Genetic testing, stem cells, rattling, talking to Silicon Valley geniuses and the best doctors in the world about the hottest products and programs to make you live an amazingly joyful life. Are you ready? Now, here's your host, Rena.
1: Hi folks, welcome. I'm Rena, host of the Healthier podcast, founder of Health Boot Camps, and today you're in for a treat because we have the very legendary, renowned scientist, MD, author, Ted Maestro, Dr. William Lee. He's written a new book called Eat to Beat Disease, and you might know Dr. Lee from his very famous TED talk on can we eat to start cancer, or perhaps you've seen him, on the Dr. Oz Show, CNN, MSNBC, The Time Magazine, O Magazine, Dr. Lee is a true bona fide celebrity. And of course, he has served on the Harvard Medical School faculty and presented recently at the Vatican's Unite to Cure conference. I'm so excited to have you here with us today, Dr. Lee. Welcome. Why did you write the book, Beat-to-Beat Disease?
0: I'm a medical doctor. I'm an internal medicine specialist by training, and a research scientist. And for the last 25 years, I've been doing what I was trained to do, which is diagnose disease and then write prescriptions to try to treat those diseases. Really chasing the horse after it's come out of the barn. And about 10 years ago, I figured out opportunity for uh, for me to pursue, which is prevention. And when you're talking about prevention, you really can't talk about medicines, and you need to talk about something like food. And so what I started to do was to really look at what is the science that underlies how food can influence our health. And while many other people are looking at what foods you need to cut out of your life, I became much more interested using research in figuring out how foods can be added to your life in order to be able to enhance your health. And here's what I discovered that led me to write this book, that when it comes to food and health, it's actually not just about the food. It's about how our body responds to what we put inside it. And that's what led me to discover that, in fact, our health is not simply the absence of disease, but it's actually the result of a number of our body's hardwired natural defense systems that are within us that protect our health from the time we're born to our very last breath. And foods can activate those health defenses.
1: You created the revolutionary concept, or or you revealed the revolutionary concept of angiogenesis, which of course is, as you say, at the heart of sort of these processes. Explain to our viewers and our listeners what is angiogenesis, and then we can dive into the actual foods themselves.
0: So angiogenesis is one of our body's health defense systems. There's five of them, and I write about all five in the book. But angiogenesis, one of them, is how our body grows blood vessels. This is our circulation, which brings oxygen and nutrients to every cell in our body. Powerful defense. And in fact, when we have just the right amount of circulation, we are completely healthy. When we have too much circulation, it can feed diseases and is often accompanied by inflammation. And we don't have enough blood vessel, enough circulation, you wind up actually having tissues and cells and organs that actually have trouble surviving, and so they can actually die. So the way that androgenesis protects us is really maintaining exactly the right amount of circulation, and foods can influence that. Right, so in addition to angiogenesis, another really remarkable defense system is our regenerative medicine, our regenerative system, our stem cells. When we were kids, we all were taught by our teachers that starfish and salamanders can regenerate. Now, turn that upside down on its head because we now know that people do regenerate. We regenerate slowly from the inside out using our stem cells and guess what foods can actually help influence that and boost that regenerative process as well a third defense system would be our microbiome which everybody's hearing about now the healthy gut bacteria and bacteria in other places of our bodies 39 trillion bacteria in our bodies so in fact we're all infected but not sick. It's really quite a remarkable system. It's part of our ecosystem that protects our health. And then there's DNA, which we always think about as our genetic blueprint, but it's a lot more than that. Our DNA turns out to protect us from the environment. So for example, if you wind up going to the beach and you have a lot of sunshine coming on your ultraviolet radiation, DNA damage. If you're actually breathing secondhand smoke uh, someplace, that will cause DNA damage. And if you're filling up your car at the filling station, if you stand up, whether you stand upwind or downwind, if you're downwind and you can smell the fuel, the petrol, that can cause DNA damage. And our DNA system can protect us against that damage by fixing itself. And then finally, our immune system, which everybody knows defends us against uh, infection, turns out to be more powerful than we ever imagined. In fact, we now know that our immune system can defend us against even cancer.
1: And you're arguing that these defense systems can be strengthened and bolstered by diet. Is that correct?
0: That's right. So um, while biotech and pharmaceutical companies are working furiously to develop new treatments that are targeting, these defense systems, every single one that I mentioned, blood vessels, stem cells, microbiome, DNA, this is a real bona fide scientific effort. It turns out that in parallel there has been a sea of research conducted by myself and other people that are interested in this field that can show that these same processes that biotech companies are going after can be boosted, enhanced by our food. And this is done Uh, studied using the same rigorous, serious, scientific methodologies that biotech companies are using. So we can finally start taking our food seriously using the same systems that we study medicines.
1: And what are your thoughts about foods as a supplement? Because there's all these new supplements that are out, right? Like 84 foods in, you know, freeze-dried and we've got the essence out of them and we're giving them to you in a little pill versus actual food. Really, what have you found? What is better?
0: Right, well, I don't think we know the answer to that, except that what we do know is that whole plant-based foods in general are the basis for not only a healthier diet, but really a more fulfilling life. I mean, you know, basically everybody feels better when they're actually cutting out the processed foods and excessive meat and, and eating a more plant-based diet. That's That's been shown by science and clinical study. And while there may be a role for dietary supplements, you know, the idea of supplements came years ago when people were actually undernourished and were missing critical vitamins. And so the vitamin industry really sprang up by helping to supplement some of the missing nutrients. Well, fast forward to today. Most people actually have an adequate sort of base of nutrition, except that you can always get more by eating the whole food. So it's not just the vitamins that you can actually get. There's the fiber, there are the bioactives, and in fact, in many cases, even the healthy bacteria that accompanies our food. You can't replace that with simply a single supplement. There are no magic foods, magic pills, or magic diets that can actually do it.
1: And in fact, what's interesting is that each of us is a snowflake in terms of how our body reacts to different foods, how we process certain foods. I love that example you gave about Um, certain therapies that were done, and the difference between those who succeeded and failed was a particular kind of a bacteria that was in the gut of the patients that survived and thrived. And the only way to get that bacteria was to actually eat real food, and I think we talked about pomegranate as an example. So talk a little bit, because I think the challenge we face today, Dr. Lee, is that we're sort of a fad society, so keto is in, right? So now everyone's following the keto diet. Um, we we seem to follow different fats. You know, there was a low fat diet, the fat free diet, the sugar free diet, and everyone seems to want to follow these. Whereas, I think a big part of what you're saying is you have to figure out what your imprint is, and then feed what it is that your body needs. So talk a little bit about that.
0: Well, what we know from both medicine and nutrition, and this is a very modern understanding, is that every individual is different, and it makes total sense. You know, not only are are genetics unique but we also have our own individual lifestyles and how and and, you know and life's not perfect everybody lives in their own existence which changes over time and so um, uh, you know it's a little magical thinking uh, that even the medical community has that a single pill is gonna do the same thing for everybody and by the same token it's also slightly magical thinking that the same food will do the same thing for everybody as well you are absolutely right Um, we tend to live in a fad-driven society, but I think in part that's because we have not traditionally had the same amount of uh, knowledge, foundation, base, fact that we have for food as we have had in other areas of medicine or health, for example. And so without that foundation, which we I think we're beginning now to have, we're at the beginning of a new era where the science has advanced so we finally know something about how foods actually interact within our body and one of the secrets is actually what mother nature has put in these foods these are bioactives these are fibers and in some cases they're actual bacteria that come in our food and when we eat those uh, foods whole food, foods those um elements wind up interacting with our own cells and causing beneficial effects and in some cases uh, harmful effects as well but what in my book eat to beat disease I'm focusing on the scientific evidence between the helpful effects.
1: Mm. And what are your thoughts on keto? Do you think it's the right approach to beating cancer, especially since on you so much? Yeah, on the keto diet, especially as it pertains to cancer, because I know you've done a ton of work on beating cancer with diet. So, what are your thoughts around the keto diet, and especially for those people who argue? that, hey, that's how we live, We you know, our hunter-gatherer, we eat a lot of meat, and so that's kind of the natural way of living. What are your thoughts on that?
0: First of all, um, ketogenesis is not a uh, new idea. It's actually quite an old idea, going back more than 200 years, where it has to do with metabolism. And we all know, knew about ketogenesis because in diabetes, one of the complications of diabetes is that we actually don't utilize our sugars and uh, properly. Our insulin mal- malfunctions, and then frankly, we wind up actually going into a ketogenic state. Um, that can be a medical emergency, a crisis, and it can actually bring people to the hospital. Or it can even kill people. However, I think in the, its modern iteration, the ketogenic diet has really been about metabolic control of the body uh, using, you know, an extreme of diet. Uh, it turns out in cancer research, which is where the best research has been done, it does turn out for brain tumors and also for types of le- epilepsy as well in children that going on a ketogenic diet seems to reboot the uh, software uh, uh, within the brain and cancer is growing within an epileptic brain to be able to help calm things down or slow down the tumor growth. It's not a cure, it's definitely not a cure-all, and it doesn't actually prevent cancer per se. There's not enough evidence for that. But for brain tumors, it seems like there is some benefit for that. That said, that's different than saying we should expand it to every type of cancer that's known. We don't have enough information on that yet. And certainly for healthy people, you can go on a ketogenic diet. You can actually lose some weight feel a little bit better. Um, you're probably cutting out the opportunity to have a lot of good healthy foods that m- you might otherwise want to have or ne- even need to have, but it's really unsustainable. In other words, it is a fad. It is something you can embark on for a short period of time. Probably is not terrible or really hurts you in a short period, for a short period of time, but it's almost impossible to sustain for prolonged periods.
1: And as you talk about eating to be disease and keto tends to be very limited in a lot of the plant family, beans included. What are your thoughts with respect to, does keto actually then contribute to creating an environment where disease might thrive, for example, because you're not including a lot of the foods that might boost immunity or that might stop antiogenesis. What are your thoughts on that? One of the
0: things I write about in my book is that, you know it's time to really rejoice in the food that we can actually eat for health. And because it's not a philosophy of eating that involves exclusion, but really using science to figure out what we want to include in our diet, I actually have more than 200 foods listed across different categories, uh, fruits, vegetables, um, even dairy products. Some beverages and a whole lot of other areas, legumes, nuts, Um, and so you can. No matter what your philosophy is, whether you're keto, uh, whole thirty, any any kind of philosophy, Atkins, you can still use this list of foods that are supported by science to be able to find a solution for you. So I can, you know, in from my book. Though my point is, you can take almost any philosophy, any structure of eating, and you can pick within those foods, and you'll still start getting some of the benefits. The key for me is how do you actually embark on a lifetime of sustainable, healthy eating? At the end of the day, this is something we should all endeavor to try to teach kids, children, and so they have lifelong patterns. And if you're an older person, you know, and you're well-established in your ways, um, you know, we want something that can actually take us to our golden years and not just something that, you know, we give up on after, a month or two or six months or even after a year. We want to have a lifetime of healthy eating where it becomes second nature.
1: And that's what we do with Health Boot Camps, right? That's why we create these online boot camps because it isn't about a short fix. It's not about a band-aid. It's about truly a lifestyle. And that means changing habits and that means doing something ongoing for at least 40 days. And so for those of you who are interested, do check out Health Boot Camps. We've got a lot of great boot camps. On creating the good habits for sustainable long life. Okay, ding 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 ding! Moment of reveal. What are your top five foods that you recommend of the two hundred foods that you've identified as being great for beating disease?
0: So many good foods that are good for you. I really like to be able to tell your listeners uh, and uh, about a few that actually are surprises, and I think the surprises show us how powerful science is in being able to set the record straight on foods where there are confusion. So for example, for androgenesis, one of the great foods that actually benefit our circulation and can actually prevent cancers from recruiting their own blood supply is soybeans, soy. Oh. Now, soy has actually gotten a scary reputation because many people feel that the plant estrogen found in soy can cause breast cancer. And you know many women walk around fearing soy, uh, soy protein. Uh, uh, Well, uh, we know that human estrogen can actually fuel some types of breast cancer, but science tells us that uh, the plant estrogen found in soy is nothing like human estrogen. And in fact, it counters human estrogen, and so it can actually intercept and reduce the risk of breast cancer. So in my book, I I write about a study of 5,000 women. Who already have breast cancer these are the most vulnerable people
1: mm. and that
0: study showed that those women who ate more soy actually had a 30 percent number percent reduction in mortality and if their cancer was wow. successfully treated they had almost a 32 percent reduction in their cancer coming back now we know even what's in the soybean it's a natural chemical called genistein that is a powerful starver of blood vessels feeding cancer. How much do you need? That study also shows us that, at least for those women, that 10 grams of soy protein a day is what they actually calculated from the women who benefited. How much is 10 grams of soy protein? It's what you get in a cup of soy milk. So you don't need to actually have a lot, and you can switch off from soy milk to tofu to soy yogurt even. there's a lot of choices, edamame, uh, tempeh, there's a miso, a lot of different choices and so one of the foods that I, I like to talk about as an example of how to boost your health defense is soy food. And certainly in, in Asia when they're in Asian countries where soy is popular, women who actually um, are diagnosed with breast cancer are not told to actually cut out soy. That's so that's just one example for that one defense system.
1: Give us four more, we okay. need four more foods.
0: Yeah, okay, all right. So, um, stem cells, growing our stem cells and helping our bodies regenerate from the inside out. Favorite food I like to talk about is dark chocolate. Mm. As if we needed another reason to actually like chocolate, right? (laughs) So, first of all, chocolate itself is a confection with sugar and milk and all that other kind of stuff. But what we really want to look for, and this is the reason it's dark chocolate, is it's made with cacao now cacao is a natural bean that actually contains polyphenols the darker it is the more concentrated the polyphenols and it turns out those polyphenols um can actually um coax out our stem cells uh, after we eat the, the chocolate so in my book i talk about a study that was conducted in san francisco that looked at people who already had cardiovascular disease so these are people who you know they're They're not doing that well. They've got some clogs in their blood vessels and everything. And it turned out that they um, showed that that they gave those men uh, hot cocoa, dark made with dark chocolate. So it's hot chocolate. They gave it twice a day. It's eight fluid ounces, not very much, twice a day for thirty days. When they compared what was in their blood from the start of the experiment, from ground zero, day zero, without with hot chocolate, uh, to thirty days, it doubled. The number of stem cells, their wow. own regenerative stems, their bloodstream, and then when they blood flow, it doubled the improvement in their blood flow as well so wow. quite remarkable clinical study made with ultra dark chocolate, and that's an example of how foods like chocolate can activate our stem cell defenses.
1: Fantastic. I can talk
0: about a third one microbiome
1: yes,
0: yes. so um so microbiome, right now there is an anti-carb movement out there, right? So people are really saying you got to cut out your carbs, or you got to conclude your carbs, or cut out your gluten, or you know, so it's one of those whiplash seesaw movements that are out there that yes. confuse everybody including
1: yes.
0: me. Yes. I really tell people you have to go with science. Go with where the science is. That's like the flashlight. In front of you, or you know, if you put your, you know, your your light, you know, the flashlight on your phone, and you're looking ahead, walking outside, that's how we st- steer with uh, with uh, a, a solidity to know what we're doing. Okay, so it turns out that some breads actually are healthy, and I'll just tell two of them. One is actually sourdough bread, and the other one is pumpernickel bread. Right. Mm-hmm. So many people haven't heard, haven't really thought about either bread for a long time, but pumpernickel is made with rye flour. And rye flour lowers levels of an unhealthy bacteria in the gut that actually produces a toxin that causes inflammation in the gut. So eating pumpernickel bread can lower that bacteria and lower inflammation. Sourdough bread is actually made with a healthy gut bacteria, a bacteria that's normally found in the gut called lactobacillus ruteri. This is a natural, healthy gut bacteria that we know from research, um, boosts our immune system, uh, helps us heal faster and better, and in fact, can even signal to the brain to release the social hormone oxytocin, which is what we, our brains release when we get that hug from somebody we love, that feel-good feeling. It can, that bacteria can help to release that as well. Sourdough bread is made with that very same bacteria, And even though you bake the sourdough bread and the bacteria won't survive the heat, it turns out the remnants of the bacteria are enough to actually activate all those health defense systems as well.
1: You talk about nuts. So tell our listeners and viewers about the exciting news about nuts and how important they are. And are they in your top five foods?
0: Yeah, well, nuts are actually really important for a couple of reasons. They're probably the best snack that, on the planet if you don't have a nut allergy. Uh, uh, nuts actually contain uh, abundant fiber. That fiber is actually a prebiotic that actually feeds our gut bacteria. So the foods that we normally eat, we're feeding ourselves, and we're also feeding our bacteria. When we give bacteria the fiber from nuts, The bacteria actually, our healthy bacteria actually convert that fiber into fragments, some of which are biologically active and help our immune system and lower inflammation. Nuts, many tree nuts are also great sources of healthy omega-3 fatty acids as well. And whether it's a walnut, a pecan, an almond, a cashew, a chestnut, these are all amazing nuts that, you know, uh, unless you have an allergy. Look across different cultures, you'll find, you know, whether you're talking about an Asian culture or a Latin American culture or European culture, nuts are used in many, many different cultures as part of, uh, as part of cuisine, in part because I think the, the ancient wisdom was that there is some health benefits that come from this.
1: What's your favorite nut? And what's the right way to eat nuts? Because I know you've talked a lot about also, it's not about the food, but it's also how you eat the food. And you you gave a great example of tea, how I don't have tea with milk because it sort of takes away the benefits. Similarly with nuts, what's the best way to eat nuts? And do they have to be sprouted? Should they be raw? Can I put some chilies on them? What's the right way? And of course, what's your favorite nut? Well, I don't think
0: there's one single right way to do it. I you know, for me personally, I, I, like, I like to eat foods very simply with, with you know, with some flavor on it. Um, walnuts are among my favorites. I also love pecans as well, and cashews are also great. I think the key thing is that not to um, put a lot of uh, artificial ingredients on it. If you go out and look for these snack packs, um, oftentimes you find that they're incredibly flavorful, but if you look at the ingredients, you'll find that they're doctored up. And part of the reason they're so tasty is they have a lot of artificial flavorings added to them. So, you know, I, I like to sort of eat elementally when I can. Um, and I just love the taste of like, you know, plain nuts. The key is actually, you know, if you have a, there was an amazing study that came out about two years ago uh, from a group of, you know, very prestigious medical centers from Harvard and Duke and, you know, uh, Cornell and other places like that, where they found, they were studying patients with colon cancer. Stage three colon cancer under treatment. And they actually found that those patients with stage three colon cancer who ate a couple of servings of nuts, a couple of fistfuls of nuts a week, actually had a 50% reduction in the risk of mortality during their treatment. And so, you know, here's an example. That, I mean, they were getting regular treatment, surgery, chemotherapy, whatever it is. But in fact, the nuts were the only other intervention, that it was presented at ASCO, which is one of the major cancer research conferences, and it became a headliner, really, in the press releases that came out around that meeting, going, which goes to show that when there is science and there's evidence that actually shows a benefit to food, we can start to bring the medical community along with it. Because I'm one of those doctors that does believe in regular medicine. Um, I, I'm, I've seen the power of, of regular medicine and what it can actually do for people. But food is the missing tool in the toolbox, and I think that time is long overdue to be able to introduce the role of food that is supported by real evidence that everybody can use.
1: What is more powerful, food or medicine? And how should someone think about how they prioritize both? As an example, if I already have cancer, what is more important for me to focus on, especially given the fact that a lot of doctors say food doesn't matter go home eat your pizza you know have some good high fat milkshakes where do you come out on the debate between food versus medicine
0: right well first of all i think that uh the medical the education of most doctors has been um bereft missing information on nutrition for decades And so as a result, the medical community often doesn't know what to say about nutrition. And so that's why, as you uh, recounted, you know, like the oncologist, uh, the cancer doctor will often tell their patient, oh, but eat anything as long as you stay nourished, you know, have something high fat. That's really outdated thinking, and it's going to change. It's already changing. Uh, We know that, for example, what a patient uh, uh, consumes, if they are a cancer patient, can be incredibly important beyond simply nutrition. We know that what we eat can influence our microbiome, uh, and in my book, as you mentioned, I talk about the um, breakthrough of immune therapies, which res- which help many, many people remarkably for their immune system to wipe out the cancer. But if they're missing, research has found that if they're missing a single gut bacteria called Ackermansia mucinophila, and this is only a relatively recently discovered bacteria, that immune therapy is unlikely to work, meaning that you could be on the fanciest treatment around, medical treatment around. If you don't have um, the the right type of microbiome bacteria, your defenses aren't going to be functioning, And, and you can't eat that bacteria as the probiotic right now. The only way to grow that healthy bacteria is to eat food. So it's cranberry juice, um, uh, uh, pomegranate juice can actually do that, and actually mangoes can also grow uh, help to grow acromantia. And the way they do this, by the way, is that those foods help um, develop the mucus lining in our gut, and that acromancy bacteria loves to grow in that uh, mucus lining. So food is very complicated, our bodies are very complicated, treating cancer is very complicated, and, and for years, it's only all about the medical treatment. But I, what I'm talking about is all the health care that goes on between doctor's office visits.
1: I have to ask you about activated charcoal. It's another thing that's been in the news constantly. And you talked about the gut lining, especially the mucosal wall. There's different people that have different thoughts around what charcoal, activated charcoal, might do. And of course, then we've got some pretty well known experts talking about drinking it with their lemon water in the morning or having it twice a day. Where do you come out on activated charcoal? Have you seen any science behind it? Are there any studies being done?
0: All the studies that I know, and I've used activated charcoal for patients for years, is really in the setting of poison in the emergency room. We know that activated charcoal binds a lot of poisons really easily and that's a way to actually save people's lives if they've eaten something, ingested something, uh, or been exposed to something that is incredibly noxious. The idea, the modern idea, kind of the fad idea of using charcoal is an extension of that to say, well, you know, there's probably toxins in the gut and let's see if we can use charcoal to pull it all out. You know, it may do some of that, um, but, uh, we don't have really enough evidence to know whether or not, frankly, there's any potential harm or danger of flushing out all those other things. I could only guess that activated charcoal might also change the environment of the gut in a way that might not favor a healthy ecosystem of our microbiome. You know, I I think, you know, we are all growing our own petting zoo of microorganisms in our gut bacteria. You know, imagine unleashing a landslide of charcoal you know through your petting zoo you know it it might you might have like a pretty big cleanup act to try to put everything back in order so the more we understand about our gut the more we want to take care of it by feeding the gut bacteria the things that are healthy for it and not just simply destroying things
1: I I think so too intuitively it just sounds to me wrong to be taking something prophylactically that's used in an emergency room to suck out poisons. Um, to make that into a daily part of your routine just, just seems wrong, like we're damaging the gut lining instead of actually helping it nourish and grow. So the book, Eat to Be Disease. Why should our readers buy this book? What is it that makes this book so special? What is the message that you want everyone to know?
0: Well, first of all, that it's a brand new day when it comes to food and health, because finally what I write about is that food has real science behind it, and that science that's behind it is not always what somebody's on the soapbox um, talking about. I wrote this book to, with as a man on a mission to bring facts to people about food, because I have also been tired of being confused by all the... Seesawing and whiplashing that's been going on about foods and you don't really know what's actually going on So I wanted to basically put the facts out there number one number two I wanted people to understand that when it comes to food and health again It's really not just about the food, which is why there's no magic food It's about how understanding how our body responds and this book for the first time really explains how the body responds and how, what is the scientific evidence for the food out there. It's different from every other book that's out there that I know of on diet because I don't actually present a diet. I present a way of thinking about food that is liberating, That's not doesn't involve shame or guilt, doesn't involve cutting food out of your life, but in fact says, hey, look, there's all these foods. I list 200 of them that you can choose from, and I prevent, present all the evidence And if you can find something you like on that list of 200 foods, and I I haven't met anybody who hasn't been able to find something. If you start with what you already love, you are already ahead of the game when it comes to eating for health. And it's never too late to start to eat to beat disease. And that's really one of the things that I'm actually encouraging readers to actually um, uh, uh, really embrace that we can actually love our health by loving our food, and it's not always counterpoised. You know, where people, people like, if you want to be healthy, you have to hit your diet. If you want to have a, if you want to just cheat on your diet, you're not going you're gonna lose your health. What I'm saying is that we can actually align these up and really, really enjoy our lives throughout our lives because sustainability is not just about our, our planet, uh, which is of course very important, but it's really about how we live our lives uh, in a responsible way and we're responsible for our health and food is something that we can do three to five times a day, uh, so why not?
1: I love it and I loved the book. With that said, Dr. Lee, one parting advice for someone out there that, that's either suffering from heart disease or cancer or diabetes and is looking to beat disease, what is the first most important thing they should do starting today?
0: I would say, buy my book, look at the list of 200 foods, check, circle all the ones you already like, and then go shopping. Buy the things that you love that are healthy for you, and you'll never regret it.
1: I love it. Thank you so much again for your time today, Dr. Lee. Keep up the amazing work that you're doing on helping us all get to a greater self. Stay smiling, and I'll see you on another
0: one of these podcasts. That's a wrap. Share your love with a five star review and get show notes at
1: healthbootcamps.com. Connect with us on Health Bootcamps, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, don't forget to check out other great interviews and subscribe to the Get Healthier podcast today.